To what's this Dao all about? A lighthearted look at Taoism featuring Dr. Carl Totten and Todd Perry. Carl is the founder of the Taoist Institute in North Hollywood, California. Todd Perry knows a little about Taoism and is mainly here because he owns a few microphones. Now, let's learn what's this Dao all about. Everybody, welcome back to What's This Dow All About? My name is Todd Perry. With me is the great Dr. Hello, Carl Hello, everybody. Welcome to our world. Uh, to, oh. <laughs> what? No. Welcome to your world, listener. <laughs> this is where you get to find your peace in a world of chaos. <laughs> yeah, that the, sense? Well, the, well, yeah, the world is uh, strange this year. That's for sure. <laughs> As Damon Albarn from Blur wrote... The world is spinning gently out of time. <laughs> but we're, uh, we're the island of sanity, right? <laughs> that's, what, that's what I think. We, that or we're completely insane. And everybody who listens is insane, and we all have a common problem. Okay? I don't know. Who knows? Who's right? You know? Well, whatever works. Whatever works. Exactly. Uh, so on today's show, we're going to talk about uh, Chongsa's opinions on disability, which uh, the great New York Times piece pointed out recently. Uh, that I want to share with everyone because I think it's beautiful. And then we're going to talk about uh, a subject which will get uh, some emails. <laughs> we're going to talk about guns. Oh. And a listener who has a dilemma about buying a mm-hmm. firearm. And then we've got Chapter 32 of the Tao Te Ching. Let's see here. And then, oh, Dr. Totten will end with an exercise That's here. So let's see here. So first, we're going to begin with this article that was in the... L.A. Uh, New York Times recently, and I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's it's pretty long. But you could find it. Uh, the the title is, "Was this ancient Taoist the first philosopher of disability?" by John Altman and Brian Van Norden. And so here we go. This is just an abridged version. This is I don't know, twenty five percent of it. In one of his philosophical parables, the Taoist philosopher Chongsa describes a man he calls Splay Lim Shu. The man's chin is sunk in his belly, Chongsa writes. His shoulders are above his head and pinched together so they point to the sky. His five organs are on top, his thighs tight against his ribs. In Chongsa's era, as our own, most people would consider Splay Lim Shu to be unfortunate. By the way, Splay Lim Shu is going to be my new rapper name. It's, <laughs> it's going to be perfect. My, in the Wu-Tang. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Chongsa, whose work frequently challenged society's norms, sees things differently. He notes, for instance, that Shu is no, in no danger of being conscripted into the military or pressed into forced labor. Instead, he lives contently in his community, supporting himself by plying a needle and taking in laundry. Shu, Changsu concludes, is able to keep himself alive and to live out the years heaven gave him precisely because he is different than others. Even today, this insight is striking. Changsu poses the idea that Shu's difference, one would classify today as a disability, is not a misfortune. 
and in doing so challenge an assumption that has existed in cultures for all kinds of millennia. It's hard to pinpoint where this idea that it is inherently bad to be disabled originated, but in the West, examples go as far back as ancient Greece. Islamic, Jewish, and Christian philosophers later found Aristotle's normative conception of human nature congenial to the mainstream Abrahamic traditions. This idea, uh, this ideal form of the human being exists in the mind of God who created, quote, man in his image. In the Chinese context, though, Chongsa is arguing against a Confucian conception of normality, in scare quotes. And human nature determines all the normative facts, such as how many limbs a human should have, standards of physical beauty, tastes in food and music, and morality. This view implies that to be different is to be defective. Mm. In one parable, a man named No Toes, as you can <laughs> guess, he has no toes, uh, suggests that who is really disabled? Is it Confucius because of his inability to see past conventional distinctions? Changsa understands virtue as manifested by living in accordance with nature. Corruption occurs, according to him, only when one deviates from nature's path. In this time of rampant sickness, social inequality, and given our fundamental duty to extend equal treatment, compassion, and care for others, we think Changsa is an important and insightful guide a Taoist gadfly, if you will, to challenge our conventional notions of flourishing and health. <laughs> I love it. It's beautiful. Yeah, isn't that sweet? I like how there's lots of elements of Taoism that even though they were from, you know, 2,500 years ago or 2,000 years ago, are seen as the first of their kind. Like they often talk, we've talked about, you know, Lao Tzu was the first anarchist you know, is often attributed to. So, you know, in an era when people didn't embrace difference and what some would call disability, uh, Changsa was all about it and saw it as kind of the beauty of the fabric of life and that there may even be advantages to what we see as disabilities, which is even kind of more amazing and thoughtful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, kind of thoughtfulness that one does not attribute to that era. You know, it's something that we're just giving around to this day where people are being more accepting of different body types and different abilities. And uh, people are kind of putting away that, I think, knee-jerk gut reaction to react to things that aren't quote-unquote mm -hmm. normal. But I think maybe, you know, Dr. Totten, tell me if I'm wrong. I think that maybe humanity, because maybe we've evolved to abhor difference or you know, that th there was a, a certain thing that if something is different for me, it may potentially be dangerous, uh, that humans may have in their psyche for how they evolve, that maybe it's natural for humans to be prejudiced against that type of thing. I don't know. Am I wrong? Am I right? What do you think? You know, I think that, um, you know, once uh, people found that they get um, reinforced, they get acceptance by being like everybody else, then the notion became extended to, well, if you're not like everybody else, then you don't fit in. You're not worth as much as the rest of us who are fitting in. Uh, obviously, that is a very discriminatory and limiting way to look at life and the world because everything fits in. You know, uh, the the mountain is tall. Is it laughing at the river because it's low? 
the river is down there in the valley. Is it laughing at the mountain because it cannot move? It, it's kind of like mm. everything has its place, <laughs> you know, whether it's high or low or here or there, it's all here. And so if we learn how to accept everything and allow it to fulfill its nature, you know, pretty much all is, is well, you know. But in our culture, yes, we tend to notice differences and we desire nor, so-called normality and we even worship superiority, whether that's for looks or material things, you know, wealth, whatever. Yet all too often, in spite of our affinity for wanting more and more and more, Many are never happy or even satisfied with what we might perceive as having it made. You know, I know I've worked with a lot of people who are very high in the entertainment industry as, you know, actors or um, uh, people in you know, Hollywood. I've even worked with the, the president of a m movie studio and a couple of vice presidents and... Let's name names now. Let's start getting into names, no. Dr. Totten. No. <laughs> but in spite of all of that, many of these individuals were not necessarily all that happy. You know, you know they, they had other challenges and had a very difficult time feeling a sense of, of gratitude for what they did have. And instead, we're only looking at what's next, what's next. What don't I have? And if a person has that mindset, no matter what they attain or achieve, they're never going to be happy because they never just stop to kind of smell the roses, you know, where they are. Um, the gratitude, gratitude comes back to the attitude of gratitude. Yeah, and, you know, the Taoists have talked about this forever. Um, and so others who we might consider to be less fortunate often really appreciate, you know, what they have, you know, the simple things. And as a result, they actually are more content than the person that has, you know, maybe millions. And so, you know, Taoists have always tended to counsel, you know, acceptance of self, of others, of things, you know, as they're found in nature. I know the indigenous shamans or wisdom keepers often say that our real task is to be stewards, you know, kind of caretakers of the earth. Because then we'll have true abundance, you know, because just look at what this striving for wealth, for constant growth and for unlimited abundance has done to the ecosystem of the planet, you know, kind of due to our inability to just accept nature as it is and our con constant striving to subvert it to our will, the planet is actually endangered at this point. And so, you know, I've worked with a lot of people with disabilities. My uh, bachelor's and master's degree actually was in that. It was actually in rehabilitation counseling. And uh, that was kind of the first professional jobs that I actually had in this field. And so people with disabilities, you know, often learn to find satisfaction in, you know, the simple things that they can do that's in, within their ability, things that others might actually overlook. Because, again, they're always looking outside of themselves and never stopping to actually just accept things that are here now and don't require a lot of energy and effort to do. They're always trying to go for what's out there, what's next, what's more, rather than just, you know, what's here is okay. And let me make the best of what's here. 
and then what, how that naturally develops and flows is where I'll go next. It's also it's funny we're talking about uh, Chongsa is embracing, not, you know, not just people who are necessarily disabled, but maybe people that are, you know, they look different or, you know. And it's kind of funny that you know, it, it all comes down to gratitude because I've known people that are, you know, good-looking people. But the thing is, because they're quote-unquote good-looking or whatever, they stress so much about their looks that they're more stressed about how they look than somebody who, you know, doesn't quite have their, their their look together, right? You know, like the model types that sit in the have to obsess over every little thing they eat, or you know, are standing in an elevator and they know the lighting is weird in the elevator and they won't look right, and they base their entire existence based on how they look, and they're absolutely miserable. Yes. You know. So, you know, sometimes being an uggo is a good way to go through life. You know, it's, uh, Not that you'd know. <laughs> that a, oh, you know, I, hey, look, I lost my hair a couple of years ago. And you know how much time that saves me in the morning from having to worry about doing my hair? It's a glorious yeah, Everybody thing. knows that bald is sexy. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Look, I'm married already. It doesn't matter. Just you ask uh, your burner, right? <laughs> That's right. You know, there's certain people they can own whatever is kind of unique about them and turn it into its own beauty, you know. Right, like Telly Savalas was a sex symbol and Yule Brenner and, you know. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, there we go. That was a great little piece on another way that the Taoists had it right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And before we move on to listener mail, just want to remind everybody that we have a new podcast out called The 10,000 Things, in which you can hear Dr. Totten and I talk about topics that we've touched on, on what's this Tao all about, but aren't necessarily Taoist topics. So we put them over there. Uh, we've already got three episodes up, and um, you can hear that at patreon.com backslash what's this Tao all about. And you just go on there, and it's five ninety nine a month, and we pledge to give you a new episode of this from, you know, I think we did like about 50 minutes on our last episode about the politics of experience by psychologist mm -hmm. R.D. Lang. And uh, basically, I, I think it's a good show. If you like this, you'll like that. And it's a way for you to support what we're doing because it does take time and money to put this show out. And then, as of uh, always, $35 donation via PayPal gets you uh, three guided meditations by Dr. Totten and a never-before episode of Finding Your Talents. So there's two ways to help us out. Uh, if you're so inclined, uh, you can do so. And by so. the way, those uh, guided meditations, you know, I originally set those up as a means to teach people how to de-stress, how to, you know, get out of a distressed emotional and physiological condition to really have some sense of harmony and flow and completion uh, in your body, in your mind, and in your emotional uh, sense. And these days, you know, without that, we're really in deep trouble. <laughs> so I really encourage people to, to get that because I, I think it will make the quality of your life just so much richer and so much more pleasant in these, uh, you know, very difficult days. Speaking of the difficult days, uh, one of our listeners, uh, John in Memphis, Tennessee, Memphis, home of Graceland, where Elvis Presley oh, yes. lived. Uh, he wrote to us uh, because, well, first of all, this email kind of resonated with me because it mirrored some conversations I was having with friends of recent. And, 
you know, there's been a lot of crazy stuff going on in the United States, you know, obviously with the out of control pandemic and there was you know some civil unrest a couple of months back and there's been uh, elements of political intimidation going on in the streets with these large caravans of trucks and intimidating people. And there's been a, a, a stench of violence in the air, you know, um, things going into the election. We're getting, you know, there's a lot of people talking about there, there may be violence in the streets. And so far that hasn't happened, which is wonderful. Um, shows that maybe the media was getting a little ahead of their skis on it. But the idea is there was a lot of stuff that people were afraid about and about violence coming to their homes and neighborhoods of recent. And the funny thing was I had conversations with friends of mine that were not, uh, people who are really into guns or, or wanting to buy a firearm, kind of, you know, some of my hippie friends were like, ah, I think we're going to buy a gun because stuff's about to pop off in this country. Uh, and so I had some conversations about that with people who weren't normally very pro-gun types. I have friends that are pro-gun types, and you know, they're already armed. But um, some friends of mine that were not really into that world and kind of pushed back against it were now like, look, Things are getting dangerous. you got to protect yourself and your family mm-hmm. kind of thing. So I was having these conversations, and then John in Memphis, Tennessee, wrote in and wrote, I've never owned a gun. I've been around them a little, know the basics of gun safety and shooting. I grew up in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and never felt the need to have a gun. I've been training in martial arts for about 40 years, so I've always felt pretty certain that I can get out of or avoid many self-defense scenarios. My wife and I moved to Memphis in 1999, and it's quite a bit different than Broken Arrow. Memphis is pretty consistently in the top six or seven most dangerous cities in our country. Well, the rise of protests and riots, looting and COVID and all the craziness we have today, my wife and I started talking about getting a gun to keep at the home for protection. During that time, my wife and I talked some more. We both decided that we didn't feel comfortable having a gun, which to most of my friends sounds crazy. I think I'm the only one I know that lives in this area who doesn't at least have one gun. And for those of you who are not in America, Memphis, Tennessee is in the south and a place where gun culture is as vibrant as gun culture Mm -hmm. can be. Um, But every time I think of getting one, I get that uneasiness in my gut and it just doesn't seem right. So for now, I'm going with that. And so he asks, does Taoism address anything like this? I'd like to hear your opinion on the subject. Thank you so much for your time and your great podcasts. So Dr. Totten. What does the Tao have to say about getting strapped? <laughs> well, you know, um, you know, I said to John, you know, it's a very interesting question, certainly, especially in these very unique and interesting times we're living in. And I'm sure that Taoism, you know, 2,500 years ago didn't directly address that question. But obviously, you know, in these days, certainly there are some you know, probably some good you know, arguments that uh, people can make for having a firearm for protection, just in case. But, uh, you know, he he mentioned that he studied uh, martial arts for a long time, uh, which also is valuable, again, kind of just in case. But on the other hand, he also mentioned that his intuition is giving him some other signals uh, and is, is saying that he doesn't feel really comfortable with getting one right now for some reason. And I told him, I said, you know, if that's what you're getting from your gut, 
it's probably important and wise to honor what that gut is telling you right now because, you know, our intuition, our gut, our, our, you might say that part of our, that aspect of our inner nature, which is in touch, of course, with the great Tao, maybe at levels that we're not. The great Tao, of course, is outside of space and time. It's timeless in terms of past, present, future. And so who knows? You know, so there's probably a good reason for it. So the Tao would say, you know, follow your heart. Um, because, you know, who knows? It could be that down the road that firearm might be used for some um, bad purpose. Maybe uh, someone would might break into his house and steal it. Uh, maybe uh, someone might uh, get asked. Uh, access to that gun and hurt themselves or hurt someone else unintentionally. We don't know. But our gut, again, our intuition, which might actually be in touch with these possibilities at a level that we can't perceive, is giving us signs and signals that we'd probably be really, would be really unfortunate not to listen to. So I counseled him that a Taoist would follow his intuition and go with what his um, maybe his higher self is communicating to him at a level that fortunately he's able to to hear. So I found a chapter, chapter 31 of the Tao Te Ching, which kind of addresses this. It says, good weapons are instruments of fear. All creatures hate them. Therefore, followers of the Tao never use them. The wise man prefers the left... And then in China, they consider the right side being the violent side because that's where you'd hold a weapon more likely in your right hand, and the left side that of mm -hmm. peace. So he's saying that um, the, uh, the the man prefers the, the man of the Tao prefers the left, the man of war prefers the right, and that weapons are instruments of fear. They're not a wise man's tools. He uses them only when he has no choice. Peace and quiet are dear to his heart, and victory no cause for rejoicing. So I think the basic take is kind of like how Lao Tzu says, know the masculine, but keep to the mm -hmm. feminine. You know, that there is a Tao of the gun, and the gun is the yin-yang symbol, and, you know, one shouldn't completely forbid, you know, guns, but they should understand their place and maybe limited place in something that shouldn't be celebrated or waved around or, you know, uh, held in high regard. You know what I'm saying? How people kind of celebrate kind of in a, in a weird way guns. You know, there's like this kind of weird kind of fetishistic love mm -hmm. for In them, fact, you, you took know. the word out and, of my and, mouth, and, Todd. It's become a fetish yeah. for many people. It really yeah. has. You know, beyond whatever utility might be there, you know, they, uh, you know, protected and... Uh, uh, almost like swear by it, uh, uh, you know, to, at a really strange uh, level. Uh, it's a, um, very much like a fetish, you know, amazing, really. Yeah, so I, th I think Lao Tzu would say, look, if, if it's really something that you have to resort to, then do it. But but if not, you know, don't fetishize it and probably, you know, don't don't create additional harm by having them around, I guess would be his take. Um, so, yeah, that's... Yeah. That's what mm -hmm. Lao Tzu has to say about it. I know people have lots of opinions on guns, and someone's going to send me an angry email. But <laughs> hey, no, what, I, what we said though, what I said was, you know, go with your go with your gut, go with your in, your, your intuition. Ultimately, yeah, very good. 
And, uh, and, yeah. and so, you know, even samurai swords, you know, which people often have for, you know, decorations and things, you notice that the, the quote, the correct way to, to mount a samurai sword on the wall is with the hilt, with the blade up and the hilt to the left. So, which means that you can't just immediately grab it and cut with it. <laughs> if it's a wartime, then it's reversed, right? It's, the hilt is to the right, so you can just grab it with your right hand, pull it out, and immediately cut. <laughs> but when it's turned to the left and blade up, it's awkward to do that, and that means I come in peace, even with this instrument here of uh, possible uh, you know, uh, fighting or offensive uh, potential. And martial artists, by the way, you know, I, as you know, I'm a teach, I teach martial arts. And the, the, the highest goal in the martial arts is to never have to use it for martial arts. You know, we want to use it for health, for learning how to become more aware and connected with our environment, you know, for learning how to communicate uh, with others in nonviolent ways. And only when we're actually attacked do we ever want to be able to pull that thing out. And even that for defense, you know, not for destructive purposes. And so it's kind of like, you know, the more power we have, the more restraint is required of us. I, you know, I think this question also relates to kind of a basic kind of pattern I see in, when people are talking about Taoism, uh, they often say, you know, can Taoists do X, Y, Z? Or what's the Taoist belief on X? Or, you know, kind of asking if certain things in, within the Taoist philosophy are uh, forbidden. You know what I'm saying? And usually the answer is somewhere like nothing is really forbidden within the Taoist philosophy. It's all about mm -hmm. balance. And usually to the side of erring on the side of caution, erring on the side of peace, erring on the side of compassion. But understanding that at times there are dark moments and we should also uh, understand the other mm -hmm. side as well. You know, and that tends to be the Taoist take on everything. And I think when people look look at things when they from like a religious or maybe Abrahamic way of viewing, you know, the world, which is, has a bunch of thou shouts and this and that, and you know, the it was within the Chinese philosophy, the Confucian way of seeing things, that that usually with everything, the Tao is going to come by. You know, follow your gut, follow the way of peace. Um, you know, know the masculine, but keep to mm -hmm. the feminine. Is usually the take mm -hmm. on this. Mm -hmm. You know, it's been said that, you know, that once we start to um, uh, commit violence, you know, once we start start cutting, so to speak, you know, pre pretty soon, you know, you've got a, a world of uh, chopped up people. <laughs> you know, yeah. Because, you know, if we cut someone, you know, because we want their resources, uh, th then what, what are they going to do? Uh, you know, that, that breeds uh, terrorists, right? Uh, you know, there, there's always a, a pushback. You know, there's always another side. You know, if one uh, you know commits uh, violence for the sake of either violence or for the sake of uh, trying to acquire something that may not belong to someone. Uh, you know, there's an action and there's a reaction. And if our action was violent, uh, the reaction is likely to be uh, equally violent at some level. 
And so, and eventually, you know, you know that thing about you know an eye for an eye. Eventually, you know, you you got a world of blind people, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I I think that you know the Taoist way is is always to, you know, find find common ground, uh, go with the flow, and you know seek uh, balance and harmony, because that way, you know, it's kind of like the rising tide, you know, lifts all the ships. And, um, you know, everyone uh, benefits. All right. So we're going to conclude this with uh, Chapter 32 of the Tao Te Ching. Top chapter Dr. Totten, 32. would you like to read it? Yes. It reads, The Tao is forever undefined. Small though it is in the unformed state, it cannot be grasped. If kings and lords could harness it, the 10,000 things would naturally obey. Heaven and earth would come together and gentle rain fall. Men would need no more instruction and all things would take their course. Once the whole is divided, the parts need names. There are already enough names. One must know when to stop. Knowing when to stop averts trouble. Tao in the world is like a river flowing home to the sea. Hmm. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And so, you know, my feelings about this one is that, you know, living in the now, in the Tao, kind of at source with what is, you know, that then allows us to appreciate things just as they are. And as Lao Tzu noted, you know, even kings cannot control this pure nature. Separation leads us to naming the parts while knowing when to stop averts trouble, he says. And yet separation has led our war our world to what? War, exploitation, slavery, injustice, discrimination, uh, damage to the environment, you know, the ecosystem where if we can allow things to take their natural course, as happens in the Tao, like, as Lao Tzu says, a river flowing home to the sea. Yes. As uh, Donny Osmond once sang, your love is like a sacred emotion, like the river flowing mm-hmm, into the ocean. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, what's interesting about this is, you know, the Tao is forever undefined, which, you know, I was thinking in my mind the other day the way that I see the Tao and kind of like this, you know, theory of everything metaphor for the way the world naturally works, right? And being that it would, this power would pass through so many different things that it would be impossible to put any form to it, you know? And... So they say, you know, if kings and lord could harness it, the 10,000 things would naturally obey. And it would, but it would be a process if these kings and lords really harnessed it, it would be a process of them letting go of power and mm-hmm, authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it would, they would be then resigning to naturalness or just directing people along the path to to that and anyone who would become a king or a lord or was bestowed upon that power the last thing they'd want to do is mm-hmm. give it up 
And then I was looking at Derek Lynn had his translation of it. And instead of saying the kings and lords, his translation says the sovereign. Mm -hmm. And the sovereign could be you or me. Right. And so, you know, then if we could harness it, then the 10,000 things would naturally obey. And that's the cultivation that we're working towards. You know, and it's not necessarily the 10,000 things or all these things becoming compliant with our wishes. But it's us seeing them as they should be seen and having the proper perspective and obeying the Tao, which then everything would, would, would move mm-hmm. naturally. Yeah. So I, it, this is a really deep take. And then at the end, the second part is a pushback against unnecessary complexity. Um, saying there are already enough names, you know, meaning that you're dividing things up already too much. You're making life too difficult and it's like Lao Tzu saying keep it simple stupid (laughs) you know uh, and then once the man is with the Tao then they don't need to learn anything extra is what they're saying here you know Um, knowing when to stop so averts trouble yeah quit while you're ahead and then they're saying the river flowing to the sea is like you know, in the end, the, the Tao is the river flowing to the sea, in which we always say the Tao is returning. returning. It's going back yes. to the source. It's getting connect, connected to the yes, void. Very much so. Very much so. And I think that that's, it's such a good, uh, almost like an antidote to uh, you know, the way that uh, we frequently are living here in kind of a you know, modern uh, society, you know, always striving for what's next, what's more, what's different, what's better. And, you know, often, you know, lose sight of, um, you know, things as they naturally are. And as a result, of course, as we frequently say, uh, lose sight of gratitude. Gratitude. You know, my Zen master, he always says, less, do less. Rest, do less. Because when we're doing less and resting, then we have a, a greater sense of the abundance that is already present in the present moment, which, of course, contains everything. And if we can rest and abide in the present moment, which is completely abundant and has every possibility there, then we're much more likely to be attuned to our own in, innate, uh, uh, authentic self, which then allows us to source from our higher self which, of course, is in constant contact with the Tao. And that mm. allows our imagination and our creativity to flourish. And that is uh, a really wealthy way you know, to live and to never feel that one is impoverished because we have the Tao with us, accompanying us all the time, moment by moment. And every moment is different. And so you might say a brand new universe becomes accessible in every moment as it reveals itself in the unflowering of the Tao, which is, of course, right now. Be here now. Yes. So now, Dr. Totten, you have an exercise to uh, finish off today's show that you'd like to share with the audience. Yeah, as a way to kind of follow up on these things about what Lao Tzu's been counseling. You know, I said, here's a little exercise that, you know, one might be able to do. You know, just pick a time 
and just sit, you know just say okay between this time and that time I'm just going to just go somewhere and just without any plans just see what I'm guided to do what does my heart want to do when I just relax start moving around go out for a walk call a friend maybe play with a dog or with a child whatever it is just let go and follow your inner guidance because many of us are so busy we rarely do anything just unplanned like that in fact we often feel yeah. bad when we have unplanned time right we feel we should be yeah. accomplishing something and of course we know that leads to high levels of stress cardiovascular distress <laughs> uh, headaches tension and the like, all of which, of course, put a lot of pressure on our immune system, which leaves us more vulnerable to uh, disease. And so as an antidote to that, sometimes just say, okay, you know, there's all these things that I you know, have to do, need to do, but what if I just said, you know, between this point and this point, I'm just going to do whatever comes natural. I'm just going to go with the flow and see what happens. And I think that that freedom is um, uh, almost like a booster shot to our internal connection with the Tao. You know, by allowing what's inside to connect with the Tao that's all around us all the time, we learn how to, through Wu Wei, through effortless action, learn how to just flow into the moment. And we can actually find that it's extremely satisfying to allow ourselves to do that and to just move into the now without an agenda. The only agenda is to be present in the moment and let go. That's what I think this Tao really is all about. 